Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. In this episode, I chat with Zach Mercurio, PhD. Zach is an author, keynote speaker, consultant, and researcher specializing in purposeful leadership, meaningful work, and positive organizational psychology. He is the author of The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose, praised by Ariana Huffington as a compelling book filled with powerful stories, cutting-edge research, and practical tools that show us how to lead with purpose. Zach has worked with over a hundred global companies and inspiring them to create teams and cultures that enable more meaning, motivation, well-being and performance. In this conversation, we discuss how adversity can reveal and amplify our purpose, the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, how to awaken purpose and meaning in our everyday lives, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Zach Mercurio, PhD. Zach, welcome to the School of Wellbeing. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for having me here. This conversation, I think, is so important, particularly at the moment. We've had years of disruption and chaos, and I feel that purpose is something that's coming up more and more for people. It's like the whisper that we can't not listen to anymore. So could you tell us, how did you get so interested in purpose? Well, first of all, you're right. You know, a lot of people have talked about the last two years as apocalyptic, In the Greek, apocalypse comes from the root that means to reveal. And I think that the last two years has been a revelation. I mean, I think for people, it's revealing what's important. I think for families, it's revealing what's important. I think for organizations, it's revealing what's important. And I think that what has always been important for any living thing is having a will to carry on, contributing to your ecosystem wherever you are, and that contribution is purpose. And so I think you're right. A, that's why I see this as top of mind. The second question is, how did I get into this? And it's a long story, but it starts as a child, really, like everything starts. I was the youngest of three brothers. And if anybody out there was the youngest, you know, you get very good at entertaining yourself and comparing yourself to what everybody else is doing. And those two things, entertaining yourself and comparing yourself, led me to be extremely curious about the world around me. But I was wired to really search for significance. And a lot of times I searched for it in all the wrong places. Money, status, job, all of that. And there's two things that really set me on the path that I'm on today. One is that I faked my way into an advertising job out of college. <laughs> and what I mean faked my way is, is I chose the major in advertising because of what I thought other people would think of me. And I realized I was absolutely miserable. I mean, all we talked about was the weekend. People would come into the office and they'd say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Or what did you do last weekend? And it is astounding how many people live for two-sevenths of their lives, the days that we give with the letter S. Just think about that. The days that we give with the letter S are two-sevenths of our lives, the weekend. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. And so I had a great interaction with a cab driver. I wrote about it in my book. And he said to me in a parking lot, hey, how are you doing? And I said, oh, is it almost the weekend yet? I had become one of those living for two sevenths of my life. Then I asked him how he was doing and he just lit up. He was so excited. He started talking about all of the people he picked up, 
He gave me their names. He said on people's parents they don't talk to, their friends they miss. And he was so happy. And he got in his cab and he drove away. And I was like, how do we learn that? So I spent the next eight years, I quit my job, spent the next eight years in education, higher education, helping to flip how we educate people, which normally we educate people on here's what to do with your life, the form of your life, the form of your career, the form of your talents without understanding their function, which is why they are. And if you know anything about good architecture, anytime you're building a building, you know, form has to follow function. We have to know our why, our function before we know the form of our lives. And I spent a lot of time doing that work. And then as you've expanded your career, I found people in organizations needed it. And I found that you could study it. That was a long story, but that's the story. To think about that taxi driver who's having an absolute hoot. He's got so much purpose. He's in connection with lots of people. To pick you up one day and you're here thinking, just get me to the weekend. Is it Friday yet? Is it Friday? And to have such a contrast. Yes, that's a great point. It's, it's, it is that energy contrast. And did he like what he was doing? I don't know. You know, purpose does not equate to pleasure. Purpose is not always pleasurable. Some of the most extraordinary people I've met do ordinary things with an extraordinary perspective. And that perspective is usually rooted in, why am I doing this? Who am I helping? Who needs me right now? And I think that he had that. And really, in our research, people who experience high levels of meaningfulness have that perspective. And not equating purpose with pleasure. I think that's a really important point because I know in my work, I'm really driven by purpose, but there's a lot of it that's not pleasurable. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in one of the, the interviews I did with a group of cleaners, janitors at a university on how they find purpose in their work, I asked, what's the most meaningful part of your job? And this janitor named Ellen, she said, oh, it's on Monday mornings when I sweep the, uh, when I go in and clean and sweep the bathrooms at the university dormitories after the weekend. And I'm thinking, what the heck? I mean, that sounds absolutely terrible. And she said to me, it's meaningful because I hate it so much. But every time I go in and clean that bathroom, I say to myself, I'm cleaning this bathroom so that these kids don't get sick. And it's that so that mentality that people with purpose have that they consistently focus on the reason why they're doing something, the reason why they are. And that usually pulls people through even the most difficult circumstances. It's like uh, Nietzsche said, uh, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Oh, that is so beautiful. And you've taught me something about myself already, Zach. When I was younger, my first job was at a nursing home and I worked in the laundry at a nursing home. And that's not a normal job for a teenager to work at a nursing home on the weekends in a laundry. And people used to look at me like, why are you doing that? Obviously, that's not very pleasant work. (laughs) That's not desirable for a teenager to be working in a laundry. And yes, there were parts of the job that were not ideal. And I loved it Mm. because I saw it as an opportunity to, once all the clothes were washed, I got to chat to 40 people as I dropped off that laundry. So Yes, the start wasn't very pleasant, but the afternoons were magic. Mm. I got to chat with the most interesting people in the world, and some of those conversations I still think about to this day. Wow, that's powerful. And there's two things that you said that I'd like to highlight for people. One is, I got to, right? I got to do this. That's a big reframe. And the other one is, like you said, I said to myself, I get to have these conversations. And it's that self-talk, that perspective that you can learn in almost any circumstance. 
And so that's a powerful example. So let's think about it. For listeners listening to this conversation who are grappling with the idea of what even is purpose, could you help us define it? Yeah, there's a lot of purpose anxiety out there. Uh, A lot of blog posts and articles (laughs) and TED Talks tell you to find your why, find your purpose, do this. And the big thing to realize is that Purpose is very simple, actually. You know, I could go through all the psychological studies, but I'm just going to go to the dictionary. Purpose is the reason for which something is done or created, the reason for which something exists, something's use or usefulness. So there's the purpose of whatever it is that you're doing, of what use is whatever it is that you're doing, what contribution are you making right now, whatever you're doing, if you're on your way to pick someone up from school... Why are you doing that? I mean, that's your purpose. And there's your purpose. That is where your unique gifts make a unique difference. So how your strengths make a unique impact. And that's it. Purpose is not out there waiting to be found somewhere. I hope your listeners have realized that in our early conversation here, purpose is right where you are waiting to be acknowledged. If you're listening right now, I can ask you a couple questions. Do you have strengths? Yes. I mean, most of you are going to say yes. And do you see other people today? on a daily basis, they're going to say yes. And so you, there you go. You have purpose by default. Thinking about that idea of revealing and almost amplifying what's right here. Right. What's in this moment. Yes. Because if we don't learn how to see purpose where we are, it's very difficult. Even if you get your dream job or go on your dream vacation or have the longest weekend ever, you won't be able to see purpose where you want to go. The ability to see purpose, I like you, like what you said, to reveal purpose is a skill, it's a habit, and it can be a practice that can be learned. And we all have the capacity to do it, but we have to practice it. It's like I have the capacity as a human to go run five miles, but if I tried to go do it right now without practicing, it would be a disaster. Most people's forays into finding their purpose or purposeful living or well-being end that way because it's just like, oh my gosh, something happened. I need well-being. Let me go in and meditate. And it's a disaster. Um, Well-being and purpose too is a practice. I'm guessing for a lot of listeners, purpose may feel like a bit of a luxury. I don't have time for purpose. I'm too busy doing what I've got to do. So what can it feel like when we're living a life that's not quite aligned with our purpose, where we haven't maybe revealed that purpose or awakened it within ourselves? It's an interesting paradox. And I go back to Viktor Frankl, who was a concentration camp prisoner. And he was a psychiatrist. And he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He talks about how he quoted Nietzsche when he said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And he talked about the importance of even in the most hellish conditions on planet Earth, the most indignifying conditions a human can face, that the most important thing that he found as a psychiatrist to surviving and thriving was to have a sense of purpose outside oneself, to be looking after each other or to be thinking about what you're going to do and contribute to the world after you leave there. He went on to do vocational training and coaching and he started saying the importance of this in our work and our everyday work. But I always go back to that idea that some people say to me, Zach, I'm just surviving. I don't have time to have a purpose. You don't, you don't really have time not to have a purpose. And what I mean by that is that what are you surviving for? Every organism that survives and thrives has a will to survive. If we want to get into biological science right now, we can say that once an organism ceases to contribute to its ecosystem, it dies. 
The same is true psychologically for us. When we cease to realize our use, our usefulness, our contribution, our why, our reason, energy that we need to actually accomplish those things fade away. So I think when you're in it, when you're busy, when you're in the routine, when you're just scraping by, when you're just surviving, I actually think taking the time to control the only thing that you can control is your response to that situation and responding from a purpose-driven lens is a survival imperative. What's it like to live a purpose-aligned life? If you're interested in theater or books or a good movie, what makes those pieces of art good? They have what's called a through line. You know, if there's a revenge plot, revenge is the through line. It carries you through the whole hour and a half movie. You know what the movie's about. When you think about really bad movies you've seen or bad plays or bad novels, you're often left wondering, what what the heck just happened? You know, I hear you see that in some bad reviews. Or, what was that? And that's great if you're into abstract art and things like that. But the through line is so important. It's the plot line of our lives. When we don't have that plot line, when we don't have that storyline, everything just becomes random. For example, a struggle just becomes a struggle, not a struggle so that you can create a life for your kids. Uh, For a student getting a bad grade, it becomes a bad, just getting a bad grade, right? Instead of, I got to learn how to do better because I want to be a doctor. Because when you don't have the storyline, you get a lot of wasted energy. There's a lot of reactions. But when you have the grand storyline, the contribution you want to make, you know how your strengths make a difference, the usefulness that you want to have on others, you get that through line, that plot line. Yes. And it creates that cohesion. And that through line, as you say in your book, which I absolutely loved, and this is a word that's helped me, is that our purpose pulls us forward. It literally can pull us to this new place where we want to go. I love that idea of being pulled forward with purpose. And why does it pull us? It pulls us because the object of our behavior, this contribution, this purpose, is outside of ourselves. So it's outside of our current circumstance. Whereas if your object of behavior is like achieving and crossing things off your to-do list today, that's right in front of you. That's there. You either do it or not. Like the problem with being motivated just by achievements or acquiring things or results are precisely because you can achieve them, acquire them or get the result. And the the question that we all have to be forced to answer is then what? But when you have a purpose, when you're driven by contribution, every day has one thing in common. It's the ability to contribute to another human being. You may not be able to achieve your goal today. You may not be able to cross your to-do list off today. You may get a bad grade on a test today. You may get fired today, but you can use your strengths to contribute to another person. And that's what's powerful about purpose is it's always accessible as a well-being tool. And it's always accessible regardless of our circumstance, regardless of what's happening, what stage of life we're in, what we're experiencing we can be pulled forward with purpose and meaning and this desire to contribute and make the world a better place. Yeah, and I sometimes I like to talk about the difference between purpose and being purposeful. For example, you can have a purpose and know your purpose, which everybody does have that. You, you contribute in unique ways right now. But if you just have purpose and aren't purposeful, that doesn't work either. Being purposeful is contribution-centered thinking, being, and doing. It's the difference between getting up in the morning, looking at your phone and saying, what do I have to do today, which is incredibly demoralizing, versus looking at your phone and saying, oh, how is what I'm going to do today going to impact other people? It's at the end of the day, instead of being like, what did I do today? What did I get done? Who did I help today? And who helped me today? 
It's as simple as those two things. If you start asking yourself those two questions and force yourself to do it, I'm not really a journaler, even though the research tells me I should. You have to force yourself to do it. Do it for seven days and see what what happens. And even if you do it and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy what you know on this podcast wanted me to do this, and then you start thinking of something, something and someone that you helped, I guarantee you will have a better response to your day. And our collective response to our days over many days is our lives. And the power of noticing impact. Yes. The impact that we have on our lives and the impact that we have on other people's lives. And I love that idea that you amplified in the book around we need to share more stories of impact. Why are we doing what we're doing? Yeah, and it's in classrooms and organizations and our families making sure that people know and feel the evidence of their significance. And I think that that's the most powerful thing we can do with one another, because not only is there a purpose deficit for us right now, there's a a mattering deficit in the world right now. I mean, when you look at the data of the people around us, you can bet, based on an aggregate of surveys in the last 10 years, that upwards of 43%, almost half the people you will see on a daily basis feel lonely. You can bet that almost half of school-aged kids from 6th grade through 12th grade don't think their teacher would notice them if they were gone the next day. That comes out of a survey of over 66,000 kids. You can bet that nursing home residents and the elderly, upwards of 65% of them say they didn't have a single visitor in a 12-month period, and that was pre-COVID. People in work, upwards of 60% feel undervalued, invisible, lacking meaningful appreciation. So there's no shortage of the need, but what we need to do for each other is also commit to not only discovering purpose ourselves and being purposeful, but also helping other people see their contribution so they can be purposeful and experience the benefits of purpose. And that's the reinforcing loop that happens. I think about my contribution. I look outward. I contribute to other people. I let give them the evidence of their contribution by showing them that I'm here for them. They experience a sense of purpose and we start building communities of purpose. And we start building an upward spiral of energy yes. and hope. Yes. Like that excites me. Listening to that, I think if I was working in a school where we started each meeting talking about the impact that we're having and why we're doing what we're doing for even five minutes before we jumped into the logistics of it all, that would be so much more inspiring to hear stories of impact for a few minutes than jumping straight into the reporting timeline. And it actually makes us better optimized as humans. So there was a study done by Dr. Turner. He's a radiologist in Israel, and he did a study with radiologists and he split them up into two groups. And he had one group of radiologists, they got a group of CT scans to read. So they read the scans and they interpreted them and sent them back, sent them back. The next group of 300 radiologists got the same scans, but all he did differently was attach a headshot of a patient on the scan. And he wanted to know what would happen. And what was remarkable is that the radiologists self-reported that they spent longer time on the interpretations if they had the headshot. They also found 25% more incidental findings that would be important to the patient's future prognosis. And they self-reported that they wrote almost one and a half times longer interpretations. So that whole adage of putting a face to the name, right, that is the power of purpose. When we can find ways to collect and share and tell stories to ourselves and others of our significance and other significance, it's incredibly important to maintain meaningfulness. The reason why I say that there's two types of stories. There's the stories we tell ourselves. What didn't I do today? What went wrong today? What did I screw up today? Uh, Versus the stories we tell ourselves. Who did I help today? 
When did I see my purpose in action? When did I feel like I matter today? And there's the stories we tell each other uh, and our teams and our families. And it's simple. You know, I do this with my kids. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And, you know, when my my seven-year-old will go and help tie my four-year-old shoes, and I'll be like, thank you so much for doing that. Because when, when you do that, he's learning how to tie his shoes. So you're like a teacher to him. And you helped mommy and daddy get out of the house a lot faster. And we were so happy. And right when you say that, he's just like, feels needed, right? And that's purpose in action. That's how you create mattering. Yes, if I was that seven-year-old, I would be feeling like, oh, I'm so important exactly. in the family to get out the door. That is crucial. People to discover purpose have to feel like they matter. For example, if you want people to discover their contribution, they first have to believe they have something to contribute. And so often with the people around us, we focus so much on who we want them to become and not as much on what's good about who they already are uh, and what's important about who they already are and what's needed about who they already are. And I think that's a missing link, especially working with young people, but actually working with everybody, is to really give people the evidence of their significance, highlight the unique gifts they have, and remind people that they're indispensable to our lives. That is such a beautiful thought to think about. How can we reveal and amplify the people in our lives? How can we really elevate what they're doing in this moment? Not thinking about what they should be doing, what they haven't done, but dealing with reality. The beautiful person in front of us, filled with strengths and struggles, what are they bringing to this moment? And how can we reflect that back so they notice that we notice and that they matter? And that's, I think, you know, one of the things I remind myself is that this person is living a life as vivid, complex, and as important as my own. No matter what my experience is with them, if it's a client that's giving me trouble, like this is a person who somebody loves fiercely and deeply. And that changes everything everything. And that's that's part of having a purposeful mindset, a contribution outward focused mindset, which is necessary to start experiencing these things like empathy, understanding what someone's going through, compassion, offering an action to alleviate someone's suffering. And these things that really help create mattering. There's three things just to think about, you know, that's sort of like a self-test is for the people around you, what do you do to make them feel one noticed? So noticing is not the same as knowing people. You can know your kids really well, but not notice that they're struggling. You can know your team or your best friend, but not notice that they're struggling. When's the last time you've really authentically checked in and came to notice people in the personal details of their lives and remembered them? The second is to affirm them, show people the difference that they make. We talked about that, name their strengths. And then the last piece needed is to remind people how you rely on them. So do you make people feel noticed, affirmed, and needed? And that will, that's one of the best things you can do for yourself too, because you create a community of people who feel like they matter and it's easier for you to uncover your own purpose in that type of community. None of this costs much money. You don't have to have advanced qualifications or go somewhere to do it. Simply appreciating what's right here, the people, the humans that are here within this system that help us all move forward. Yeah. And if you think you're good at it, do you know your delivery driver's last name, right? You know, we often just have these lapses of curiosity, I think. And I forget her name, but I'll remember it a few years ago, the inaugural poet here in the U.S. said, we need to become interested in each other again. And I think that that's crucial to build communities where people can uncover this such an important survival mechanism like purpose, like contribution. People have to believe that they have something to contribute. And we have that responsibility to each other. 
the people that are listening, generally I've got teachers, parents, even grandparents listening, and each of those people play such a significant role in other people's lives. And also, as you referred to earlier, I'm sure lots of listeners feel like I don't matter. Right. The way that our systems are set up, I think about how hard parents work to keep their family (laughs) systems functioning um, and how brutal parenting can be at times. And I think about teachers, how much they give of themselves day after day after day. And also grandparents, you know, there's so much giving. And I think as a society, we need to get better at acknowledging how much effort that takes and how important it is for everybody to be helping each other like this is really important work but it doesn't seem to be as valued and as appreciated and as acknowledged as other parts of work yeah and i think the problem is is that we've come to think of this idea of creating mattering for other people as common sense and the big issue with anything that's so central to human flourishing as is the experience of mattering the problem is is that common sense is not always common practice. So what I recommend everybody to do is that, you know, look at your to-do list today. How often is check-in with so-and-so on that to-do list, right? It oftentimes just doesn't make it. Uh, And so one of the things I think we can all do, and especially those communities, is just make it a habit to regularly, routinely appreciate those people so that we don't have to have a global pandemic for us to realize that certain people are essential, Right? It's amazing that all of a sudden we started giving grocery store workers hazard pay because their lives are in danger from a novel virus versus the fact that they essentially deliver food to billions of people every day. So I think we have to get further back and just say to ourselves, you know, why did it take this big event to realize these things and how can we bring it back? And I think it starts with just the everyday. I mean, the everyday interactions we have with people and making sure that we're noticing, affirming them and telling them that we're needed every day. And also thinking about those students in our classrooms to make sure that they hear their names each day as a minimum because there's always the few students that hear their name lots of times in a day and some that don't hear it. Let's really use our ability to notice, to use names, our loved ones. Just because I feel really uplifted by this conversation because they're simple, simple acts that have a big impact Mm. like it doesn't take much time or effort to acknowledge other people in their work maybe 30 seconds that resonance for them could last for the day you're listening to the school of well-being with meg durham i love to customize presentations and workshops to engage excite and empower your staff to take the next step on their well-being journey to request me to speak at your next professional development day or conference visit openmindeducation.com forward slash contact and complete the booking request form now let's get back to my conversation with zach mercurio phd yeah and there's another practice that people can take away that's incredibly powerful is we often say thank you or good job at some point in our day, whether it's to our kids or students or colleagues or employees or whoever, our partners, spouses. But instead of just saying good job, show people the difference that they make. And one of the the formulas that I do is that just commit yourself. If you're going to say thank you or good job any day, make sure you take it a step further and show people the difference that they make and how they make it with their unique strengths. And I like this SBI model to do that. So describe the situation, when and where did it happen? Describe their behavior. What did they do and what strengths did they use and name a strengths? And then tell them the story of the impact that it had on you or someone else. 
And those three things take about the same amount of time as being like, oh, I just want to thank you for doing that or good job on that spelling test. But it could be, hey, in that spelling test yesterday, I noticed that you were really trying hard. You know, I, I saw you really focusing in on that. And that made me feel really excited that you were learning and, and trying really hard. And uh, I'm sure all of your other friends saw you trying hard too. And they felt really inspired on that test. That's it. Can you imagine that, right? That's called purposeful affirmation, and it's something we all can do. Oh, every time you use an example, I'm right there thinking, yeah, I feel so important in my spelling. Right, I know, but that, but that, it's not, feel it. you know, again, and I'm not, this doesn't just come natural. Like, I don't just wake up every day and I'm like affirming people purposefully, right? Sometimes I mess up, don't do it. <laughs> I don't run around stating my purpose, you know, it's a practice. Like every day, you know, one of the things I have to do is if I find myself not doing it, I, I correct myself, like, especially as a parent. Uh, one of the things my seven-year-old loves doing is watching his tablet screen time, right? And I realized that I would just tell him, no, you're not watching the tablet. Now, what does that do to a human being? Not a lot of good. So what I started doing is I let him watch it and then I'd sit next to him and I'd say, hey, tell me what you're watching. What do you like about it? What do you like about this show? What do you think happens to the tablet? Very slowly it turns off when we start having a conversation. It is amazing what happens when you invest just a moment to make someone feel seen and listen to and become interested in them. Just that interaction I had about asking him questions about what he was watching was transformational because it's no longer about don't watch the tablet. It's like, hey, if you watch it, I want to talk to you about it. And he gets really excited. (laughs) Then it's an opportunity for connection. Right. Because what we're talking about, the underlying theme and what's pulling me forward now is we all yearn to be seen, to be heard and to have this connection. And I feel that the last few years has highlighted that guess what we're all human and we all have this need to be in connection yeah and to be surrounded by people that care and it is really hard to be in connection and affirm and notice other people when we're in that survival mode when we're just getting through and so this could be a pathway to energize people it is energizing to be in connection and just feel seen and heard. Yeah, interdependence isn't some new philosophy. It's a basic fact. We can't not be interdependent on each other, right? It's just purposeful people tend to take responsibility for their interdependence. They tend to take responsibility for their inevitable impact on other human beings. And yeah, when we're in survival mode, what we desperately need is a community around us that lifts us up through showing us the evidence of our significance. That yes, it's going through a difficult time right now, but you matter. This is important. Here's why you're doing this. We need to be reminded of that. But the best way to start building that community is to do it ourselves for others. To build that evidence of significance. Yes. How good is that? Yes. Create environments that show people the evidence of their significance. Everybody wants to feel like at the end of the day, I've had an impact. I've made the world a better place. Yeah. And so often we forget. We forget in the chase and the race for more things, for more stuff. When we're focused on the CV, what will this look like on my CV? We forget about the legacy, what we're leaving behind, how we make people feel. Yes, there's a New York Times columnist named David Brooks who has one of my favorite articles of all time, and I read it yearly. And he writes about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the things that you want, you do for yourself, you want on your resume, all your achievements. Eulogy virtues are the things you want people to say about you at your funeral. And he asks, 
to what degree and what type of energy are you ascribing to eulogy virtues and what degree and energy are you ascribing to resume virtues on a daily basis? And that just sort of floored me. You know, that just like flattens it. Even me, I'm like, wow. You know, so what, what do you want to be known for? And are you pursuing those things? You know, like LinkedIn's funny and I know we connected through LinkedIn, but everybody posts about their product launches and their their achievements, but no one really cares about that stuff. People care about how you, your empathy and your compassion. I, I wish people would start posting on LinkedIn. I remembered someone's full name today because it's those things that actually create legacy. So as a society, if we could all define success as treating people with dignity and that they matter and being purposeful, I think we'd all be better off versus just rewarding the achievement or the followers or the likes, because we're all complicit in it. What we reward is who we become. If we're rewarding others for being self-centered, people will continue to be self-centered. And this is where I start to get quite curious because I feel like the next generation coming through are much more taken and pulled by the notion of their legacy. They're not as pulled forward by the CV. They are to an extent, but not as much. I feel like there's a real change. Have you noticed that there's a shift in the way people think about why they go to work and what they do every day? I don't want to get dark here, but... This upcoming generation is the tragedy generation. I mean, especially here in the U.S., people have experienced 9-11 mass shootings on a major scale. You can now see images of war on the palm of your hand within minutes on Twitter. And I think that that, what that does is it gives us these, you know, what philosophers call death nudges that tell us you're not going to have infinite time here. And I think you have a a generation that's collectively saying, how do I want to spend my time? Why am I doing what I'm doing? How am I treated where I'm doing this? And I think it's that collective reflection of the reality of life around us that is just so that the influx of information, being able to see it, feel it on a daily basis, has really brought that more to the forefront, where people are much more critical about how we're spending my time, this limited, precious time I have. And maybe this generation, those little nudges, because they're coming so much earlier, they're waking up to what is really important instead of getting that nudge in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Right. It's like, you know, the midlife crisis phenomenon of 10, 15 years ago. Really what that is, is that nudge of, oh, I'm on the backside of this thing. (laughs) Um, And how am I spending my time? But we should all be asking that question. And I would argue it's not a generational thing. If I were to ask everybody in the audience right now, grandparents to hopefully there's like a teenager listening and I were to say, hey, how many of you all would prefer to feel insignificant today? No one would raise their hand and be like, me, because I'm a baby boomer. We don't like this meaning stuff. We just want to get our paycheck and go home and hard work. No. Every human being searches for significance. When you were born as a, a little baby, which every listener was, the first thing you did was you tilted your head up to look for someone to value you. You were seeking to matter before you sought food. It is a survival instinct. We're built to matter. We're built for significance as human beings, and it never goes away. doesn't matter what generation that you're in. Some generations are talking about it more. And this comes back to this idea of revealing for some generations or for some people, it's probably buried deeper. That path to awakening their purpose, there's a lot more to work through, where for others it's, it's there, it's coming up, it's firing. They can feel the crackles. 
I like that. Yeah, you can feel the crackles. And I think that I always talk to people after I do a session and someone's nearing retirement and they're they're saying, you know, I, I've really been thinking a lot about that, you know, recently. And I think it's good. It doesn't matter when and where you stumble onto this journey, right? But I think what matters is, is that you take the time to really stop and say to yourself, of what use am I to the world? What am I contributing? Am I regenerating energy or am I extracting energy from the ecosystem around me, from my family, from the person I'm sending that email to? And I think that if we all commit to regenerating energy and contributing, that will individually be better and therefore collectively be better. I feel so energized by this conversation because it is so hopeful and there's so much uplift that's available to us in this moment. Yeah. Right now. Right now. And you do have unique strengths. So if you ever wanted to think about a process of just uncovering what that purpose is for you in like seven days, I would recommend you do a couple of things. At the end of each day, just write down three lists. What did you love doing today? What were you good at today? And how did you positively contribute to someone else's life today? And at the end of seven days, you're going to have 21 lists and you're going to see themes. And sometimes when you see it on paper, the things that you love, what you're passionate about, what you're good at and how those things contribute, you'll start seeing themes and you'll see where your strengths, which are your talent and your passion, where they intersect. You'll see, oh, I do have purpose already. I do have strengths I do contribute to people's lives. And just stating your purpose in that way or doing exercises like that helps you to give yourself the evidence of your significance. So all of that stuff we talked about creating mattering for yourself, for others, you can do that for yourself. Building up the evidence to ourselves that we matter and that we have skills and strengths. And so many people I work with, when they come to me at the start, they're thinking, I don't have much. I don't have anything. But then they start to notice things and build up their own evidence. They're like, hey, there's this thing that I do that I thought everybody could do, but it's actually my thing. Right, I know. My thing. Or like people like being around me because I add this to their lives. Like people think I'm funny. I make people laugh or people think that's purpose. Like we, that's what we can't overlook how common purpose is how every day it is. And I think that we can get lost in like trying to find our one life's purpose. But instead, just start slowly being more purposeful where you are and your purpose will reveal itself. But it'll never reveal itself if you don't think about the questions of how do I make an impact? And if you're just thinking about, oh gosh, how many hours until the weekend? That's not going to do it. (laughs) No, that's certainly not going to do it. I I remember um, working with one of the biggest hearted educators I have ever met. She's incredible and she said to me one day Meg I'm just a maths teacher I was like are you joking you are not just a maths teacher when you walk in you light up the room you make everybody feel safe everybody in that room feels like they are capable and that is a gift to you and your students and you're responsible for where someone's precious child spends a third of their waking life pretty important (laughs) yeah much right? more than just it's like being like oh i'm just someone that's i'm just educating the future humans of the world and making sure that creating a safe place where they're spending a third of their lives yeah <laughs> it's we laugh but it's so true that we forget on my toughest days as a teacher i remember saying to myself i'm off to educate the future this lesson they will probably forget but they won't forget 
how I made them feel, yes. and they're going to be our future leaders. So let's just get to it. Just th- think for a moment about the people that were pivotal in your life. You know, those trajectory altering people that just invested in you and think about why they changed the trajectory of your life. I guarantee it's not because they got a great quarterly earnings report or they got all their test scores up to the state average in their math class. Or No, it's because they noticed you. They affirmed you. They showed you that you were needed. They showed you empathy, compassion. They were there. And that that's what leadership actually is. And that's what we forget in the rush. We think leadership right. is something completely different. But leadership is bringing out the best in self and others and moving forward in a beautiful direction with purpose, being pulled forward. Being pulled forward and creating communities and groups that are pulled forward. Instead of being stuck or pushed. Going backwards. Yeah, or pushed. pushed, you know, oh, like yes. results like... You know, I I teach part-time and I find that like exam scores and those little things, they push people for the short term, give people a little push forward, but it doesn't pull them for the long term. Because the problem, again, with achievements is that you can achieve it. And then the benefit is done once you achieve it, psychologically. (laughs) And then what? Purpose purpose is the then what? Purpose is the then what? It fills the then what? It's after and the now what? So you won't be at retirement being like, now what? You'll be at retirement being like, in what different ways am I going to contribute? Instead of the roller coaster, the if-then roller coaster. If I get to the weekend, then I'll be happy. If I get this job, then I'll be happy. If all my students pass, then I'll be good. If I do this, then I'll be successful. And it's a very, the if-then argument is very faulty because you can always get to the then. And then what? It's a roller coaster. Purpose, if you put that as your foundation, it's steady, always accessible, always pulling you forward. Yes, Let's get on that train. Let's, Let's do get it. On the Let's purpose do it. Train. <laughs> I'm on the purpose train. You're so on? much more exciting. Yeah, I'm on okay. it. I okay, absolutely cool. love being on this train because it has pulled me forward. I often laugh that the work that I do, if I was here for the external rewards and the bank account, I wouldn't have got to here. Like, it just wouldn't have happened. Like, oh, I have been right. So, yeah. Like, it's just not going to happen. No. You know, I've been doing this 10 years now and what's kept me moving forward is what's possible when people have education that makes sense to unlock potential and to see that buzz. And for a lot of the time, that hasn't equated to financial gain, status, all of those CV requirements, but it has equated to this incredible ripple effect where people will message and say, I've been listening to your podcast and I've done something that I've never thought I could do because I've been learning. And that's what excites me, unlocking human potential for people to get to a point where they thought, I didn't think this was possible for me. But Mm. since learning, I feel like I've got a whole new gear in my life. But that is amazing. Yeah. That's priceless. Priceless. It's priceless. And... It's something that will be around long after you are, the impact of that. Legacy virtues. I'm going to read that article. I really want to track that article down. That sounds fantastic. People take their achievements with them. (laughs) You know, when they go. That's a good one. They do. That is such a good one. Zach, thank you so much. To wrap up this incredible conversation, my mind is just buzzing with different ideas. I'd love to invite you to complete four sentences. Are you up for it? I am. I am inspired by... I'm inspired by everyday people doing ordinary things with extraordinary perspectives. The people that get up, they know their role in society, they know how they contribute, 
and you can experience that joy in the everyday. I love the everyday routine, mundane meaning that's in everything. When life feels hard. I play with my kids because they do not care how many keynotes or podcasts I do or uh, how many books I write or articles I read. All they care about is that I'm there. And there's nothing more liberating than that. That just being there can be everything to another human being. You don't have to do anything else. That's pretty cool. An underrated skill is? Remembering people's names and knowing how to pronounce people's names and taking the time to do that. I am looking forward to? This is personal. I'm looking forward to my kids growing up and navigating the world and seeing how I can help them navigate all of these challenges. Because I think when you see someone grow up, whether it's your kid or another kid, like you see someone growing up into the world, it kind of takes you back to you growing up in the world. I'm looking forward to watching that and being a part of that. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm sure that it has revealed a lot of listeners' purpose that they never thought was there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think deeply about why you do what you do and it awakens and reveals your purpose and leads you to take more purposeful action. To learn more about Zach's work in the world, visit ZachMercurio.com. There you can learn more about Zach and the life-changing work he is doing all around the world. And if you're keen to dive deeper into the practicalities of purpose, I highly recommend Zach's book, The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life work and organization with the power of authentic purpose. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to complete two sentences. Number one, from this conversation, I want to remember, what is your pearl? Number two, the action I'm going to take in the next 24 hours to support my well-being is. If you love the show and want to keep it going, please rate and review on iTunes and Spotify and share with your family, friends and colleagues. You can find all the links from this episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 34. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.